Welcome to the Bishop Strickland Hour here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I'm so honored to have Bishop Strickland with us once a week to talk about, this is it, how to fall in love with Jesus and his bride, the church. That's it, how to get to heaven. Bishop Strickland, thanks again for taking this hour with us, my friend. Sure, Terry. God bless you. No, we're just honored. Bishop Strickland, this is the Advent season now, and I just wanted to ask before we get to your tweets, to ask you to kind of prep us all up so that this Advent's going to be the best ever. And what, what, what should we be doing? What should we be preparing for? And how should we do it? Well, Terry, it is uh, beginning a new year liturgically. Mm-hmm. And that's always a good thing yeah. to start fresh, um, to think about how you can really begin this new year um, with in the church's year, the faith journey the most important new year, really. <clears throat> but certainly, uh, and thankfully in our churches, and I know in a lot of places, um, their confessions are emphasized and greater opportunity to go to confession. That's a great thing to do as we begin Advent is to um, go to confession. And uh, just to really do a, a sort of a, spiritual New Year's resolution and ask yourself how you can live closer to Christ. Um, As we were talking before we started, you know, there is a penitential tone Advent, not as strong as Lent, but it is uh, the reason we wear purple. It is a a penitential time in, in the sense of really recognizing as Lent prepares for the glorious resurrection of Christ, mm-hmm. Advent prepares for his birth. Amen. And so the church and her wisdom tells us to do a little penance, back off from, you know, the, the usual routines of life, a little penance, pray more, just prepare for that glorious celebration of the birth of the Son of God, the the Son of God incarnate among us. And as we've talked about before, it's a great time to reflect on, really, the incarnation begins with the Annunciation, March 25th. So we celebrate the birth of Christ nine months later on December 25th. And that's what Advent is leading up to. The, The great coming of the Son of God into the world, Emmanuel. So those, the the season of Advent preparing for Christmas, the season of Lent preparing for the resurrection of the Lord, they're very important times to, to get ourselves ready and to recognize that all that this world has to offer us doesn't ultimately fill that hunger that we have. I would really encourage, especially with all the concerns that we have in the nation, in the world, in the church, for really especially to emphasize prayer and fasting during this Advent season. We don't, the church doesn't have a lot of requirements of fasting, but you can always make your own uh, decision to maybe even for Advent. don't eat meat on Fridays. It's not mandated by the church, but to to really look at things like that for us individually and for our families, for our parishes, for any group of people that 
maybe you're a Knight of Columbus. Maybe ask, talk to your counsel about um, entering into more prayer and fasting during Advent. Maybe you're part of a rosary society. Whatever aspect of the church that you're a part of, certainly your own family and your own individual prayer life, but prayer and fasting, the Lord tells us that some demons are only conquered by prayer and fasting. And we have to, to recognize that there are many demons in the world today, the demons of the secular world going off the rails, the demons in the church that are really like what's going on in Germany with the Synod. It is, it's really tragic to yes. see bishops turning away from the truth that wherever those shepherds lead, it's into darkness. There's no change in the truth. And so Advent is a time to be very clear about that, to be joyful. There's a, I mean, once again, um, for Advent, we have Gaudete Sunday, the third Sunday of Advent. The priest will wear rose-colored vestments, yep. and it's a, it's a joyful moment to remember, even when we're penitential as disciples of Christ, the joy is never totally gone. It's not, oh, we're facing deep darkness and everything's dark and ugly. That's not the purpose of the penitential season. And those joyful moments at Gaudete and Advent, Laetare and Lent, is a time to, to let that spark of joy remind us of what we're preparing for, the birth of the Son of God. So I do urge people, and I talk to people all the time, and I'm sure you do as well. And we're, you know, we, we're human, we're worried, we're concerned. Yeah. We, we get fed up with some of the, the corruption in the nation, the corruption in the church, the, the, the crazy things get, that get said that aren't based in reality yeah. or in the common good, much less in the gospel. Um, it's just a, a strange and difficult time. So we need a good spiritual Advent more than ever. We just celebrated the Feast of Christ the King and reminded ourselves Jesus Christ is King of the universe. What I tried to say in my homilies on the Feast of Christ the King is, is to remind people the church didn't make this up. We didn't say, oh, let's come up with an idea. How about this? We'll, we'll decide to make Jesus Christ king. We didn't make him anything. The church is simply pointing to the truth. Jesus Christ is king of the universe. He's the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And the, the tone of the things that are said in the church today and in the world, I think it's easy for people to be confused and think, oh, well, we, we're changing this, we're changing that. We just make things up. That's not how the church operates. The church points to the truth that God has revealed to us. And that's what we really need to remember. So Advent is a time to remember that the king of the universe is being born among us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And that always has to be the tone of our celebration. So I urge people to really pray about and think about some acts of penance and prayer and fasting. <clears throat> One thing, um, and it, you know, the uh, mandates, you know, by the bishop or, or whomever um, really 
don't seem to be too effective. People do what they want to do. But I urge people, mandated or not, I yeah. mean, people thankfully are still free to choose to live Jesus Christ the way they choose to. One thing that I would encourage people to do during Advent for maybe this, it's only four Sundays, yeah. but the four Sundays of Advent, consider fasting like we used to. I mean, probably before we were born or just when we were little bitty kids, I, I didn't go to communion when it was still the rule that you had to fast from midnight. Me either. But nobody's telling you can't do that. Yeah. And it might be a good, just for the four Sundays of Advent in preparation for the joy of Christmas, we can all use, I mean, most of us can use a little fasting, but it's not a diet, but it's it's a reminder that nothing feeds us other than God. A lot of things pretend they do, and we can be, have wealth, and we can have pleasure, and we can have power, and we can have influence, and we can have this great position. But ultimately, nothing feeds us except our relationship with God, because that's how he made us in his image and likeness. So fasting is about reminding ourselves of that. So I'd encourage anyone who's listening to consider fasting from the midnight. Let's say you go to 10 o'clock mass in the morning. I mean, that's a little bit of a sacrifice and not have your usual morning coffee, not have the breakfast that you might usually have before you go off to mass, but make that and just offer that little fasting, that sacrifice for your family, for your own soul to, to grow closer to the Lord, to, to be more repentant of sin. Fasting is a good thing. The Lord tells us fasting and prayer, and he did it. He models it for us. Bishop Strickland, what you just said reminds me of your bishop's conference talking about a revival of the Holy Eucharist. It seems to me that those are the kinds of practices that need to come back to bring a greater love for the Blessed Sacrament. So when I didn't think of that. I, I go to an early Mass, so it's no sacrifice for me every day. Uh, I don't eat until I, uh, until I come back from Mass, but, uh, and coffee doesn't agree with me, so, I mean, it's no sacrifice for me. But the point I'm making is if we start changing the practices for what Holy Mass is all about— uh, you know, you learn more by practice than by talking about it. And so uh, I think that would be a good thing to add. If uh, if I was a bishop, I would make that suggestion as part of the revival. And I hope maybe when we have you give your presentation for the Eucharistic revival that we're going to have with Bishop Snyder and you and others that we're pulling together, I would love to have you make that as a comment for that because I think it fits really well. Bishop Strickland, you mentioned in your tweet, it fits right in. When we come back, we're going to talk about Pope Benedict XVI's tweet that you sent out regarding the Holy Eucharist, the source and summit of the Christian life. Stay with us, family. When we come back, we'll have that quote and much more on the Bishop Strickland Hour. I always like to say I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, I'd be a billionaire. Why? Because my hope is in Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the, t to the Bishop Strickland Hour. I get mixed up. I do three shows, so it's kind of fun to get confused. But Bishop Strickland, um, I think 
that you tweeted this last week, and I thought it was very appropriate for Advent because of our love for the Blessed Sacraments year-round. But I think especially, I'm going to add one more thing that you mentioned about preparing for Advent. And I would say once a week, if you're not already doing this for Advent as another way to get closer to Christ, spend an hour before the Blessed Sacrament, one, one hour, four times in the week, and once a week for four weeks. And I'm going to make a suggestion, Bishop Strickland, that many of my friends said that after you did that, they started doing it for the new year also. Because they, they got so much out of being silent before the Eucharistic King. So it's just a thought. Because you tweeted this about Pope Benedict XVI, Emeritus Pope Benedict. He said this, Without the Eucharist, the Church quite simply would not exist. You uh, commented on a tweet. What did, what did you say about that, Bishop Strickland? Well, I, I said absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate what Pope Benedict says. And I simply said, to say it another way, mm-hmm. without Jesus Christ, the, the church it doesn't exist. Because the Eucharist is Jesus yep. Christ, and Jesus Christ is present in the Eucharist. So yep. I think, and certainly, that it's really saying the same yep. thing in different ways. You know, Bishop Strickland, I uh, have a show earlier today, the Terry and Jesse show, and I quoted a tweet from November 17th, and the reason I did is I... I have a section where I bring in Fulton Sheen's uh, quotable Sheen into the Terry and Jesse show. And this time I said that Bishop Sheen was talking to you, Bishop Strickland, on the train. We go full Sheen ahead. And it was regarding the needs of the church today in 2022. And uh, you said to Bishop Sheen, uh, what can, what's the best thing to do? And, you know, you, your response was, well, I just tweeted this. And he was like, you're spot on. Here's what you tweeted. He said, Catholics, let us be clear. God is our creator. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the Son of God. Life is sacred from conception to natural death. The Eucharist is the real presence of Jesus in our world. Marriage is between one man, one woman, and discipleship requires turning from sin. Talk about basic fundamental teachings of the, of the faith being passed on. I don't know if I could have said that in that short of a paragraph. What, what, I mean, what made you do this? Well, I just think those truths and more, but those basic truths, oh. if we all just said, okay, yes, mm-hmm. we embrace this. this there are no questions, no debates. Right. This is, these are elements of the, the deposit of faith that we're willing to die for. The church and the world right. would be transformed because they're, there are too many on each of those points. Yes. There, you know, there are many people that don't believe, and sadly, many Catholics yeah. who are saying, oh, well, no, we, we think it's different, and we want to change that. And it's just, those are unchanging truths that we just need to get back to and be very clear about. And it's joyful. As I say always, Terry, it's good news. Each of those yes. is wonderful news mm-hmm. if we really know what it means. Yes. And, you know, we just need to keep sharing the truth with vigor, with joy, and unabashedly sharing what we know the truth is. And all the voices, of, like we were talking about on, on various topics, mm-hmm. you know, the way our society works if people don't like what happens, they sue you. Yeah. And 
that can be very bad, but also it can be, I mean, we operate money is king for so many people. We, as Christians and Catholics, we need to remember that money should just be a tool for doing good and for doing God's will. But, you know, that just gets distorted even for us. But I think that we do need to, we just need to, to speak up yeah. and, and know very clearly what the truth is yeah. and be willing to, to sacrifice for it, to speak up for it, and to challenge anyone who says, oh, no, well, the truth changed and we're going we're gonna to operate differently. Um, it's just not the truth and it's, it's harmful to there are too many people like we've talked about so many times. And that's one reason we look at the catechism because people don't know what the church teaches. Yeah. So when they don't know, they're not equipped to be able to say, that's absurd. That doesn't fit. That contradicts what, what the church teaches. Right. So they go along with these things that ultimately find out, they find out it is absurd. It is harmful. It is destructive to their lives and the lives of others. Well, Bishop Strickland, you remind me of something we talked about maybe uh, three weeks ago about this transgenderism that is being prevalently promoted in many uh, states, especially California. And um, one of the things our state says is that if your child wants to change their sex, that if the parents say no, we can take the child away from you, which is like, what? Are you kidding? What planet is this? That's the you know state of California. But there was an ex-trans woman who lost, who, man, there's 50,000 people who have had sex changes, have had regrets on this. But now what's happening is they're being sued. The medical profession is being sued. This woman launched an $850,000 lawsuit against the medical world who approved the surgery to start this transition. And I think this is my take. You mentioned, you know, follow the money. I believe this is one of the ways we stop this abuse of our children, and that is uh, take lawsuits against the medical profession because they're making tons of money doing these uh, these surgeries, and they shouldn't be doing them. And I'm thinking, you know, lawsuits, uh, lots of companies are never want to have lawsuits, so I'm thinking this could be a way to stop this nonsense. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, and I've heard that some medical groups, I forget exactly the details, but some are already pulling back from it exactly for those reasons. Yeah. They don't want lawsuits. They they their their ethics may they may care less about the Money. the morality and the ethics of it. But if you hit them in the pocketbook, exactly. you know, that can be effective. The tragic thing is, and I think that I think we still have to underscore the harm that's been done to people. Oh, yeah. I mean these the lawsuits really doesn't um Change. It's not reparation for no. that person, no. but if it can stop another person Future from being ones. harmed, certainly I support that. But I mean, like this this woman or man, the trans person that you're talking about, they've already been harmed. Yeah. Their body's been violated. They've been mutilated. And a lot of times that can't be reversed. Uh, they, they can't be changed back. And right. so they have to deal with that harm. And so certainly... We have compassion for those people that have awakened to what they the mistake they've made. Mm -hmm. But we hope hopefully these lawsuits will prevent other people yeah. from because I mean it is just 
unhinged for, I mean, like you said, the law in California to say parents yeah. don't have a voice in their own children. And uh, I mean, that is, you know, that is a mess. It is. It is. And I live in this state and it's, it is a mess. Bishop Strickland, later in the show, we're going to take the Catechism 849 as a mandate that the church teaches regarding a very important topic. But I wanted to, before I go to the next tweet, there's a great story of an elderly woman evangelizing a lapsed Catholic eight years ago. He's a TV personality. Uh, he was baptized Catholic. He left the church when he was a teenager. And he just announced uh, Chuck Garcia former pastor of a booming non-denominational parish and well-known TV personality in Detroit for 40 years, told LifeSite News that he's returning to the Catholic faith roots after leaving the church when he was like 10 or 12. And what's interesting about it was eight years before is what really pushed him. An elderly woman in her 70s went up to him and said, you need to return back to being a Catholic, and you know it. I'm praying for you. Now, Bishop Strickland, we need more old ladies like that in the Catholic Church. That was yeah. bold of her. Yeah, but, but she's, absolutely. But she's praying for that man eight years, and then she hears she's still alive to hear that he's now embracing his Catholic faith. I just want to tie that into a paragraph of a catechism. It's a teaser, everybody. The last segment, 849, talks about our, the mission of the Church. Before we get to that, because we're still going on your tweets— we have a lot of people who are in fear still from COVID. They have a lot of fear about the economy. They have a lot of fear about the government. I, I have people that are fearing, hey, what's going on in our church? Okay? All these fears, these phobias that are, I mean, they're, in California, people are still wearing masks. I don't know if they're doing that in, in the Texas. I doubt it. Not but, in our part of Texas. Well, in, in, in California, I'm kind of odd when you go into a Catholic church. They still... Have them, even though, God bless Archbishop Gomez said, you know, take them off. But I think people are scared. And this tweet made me think of that. You said this, in darkness, turn to Jesus. What a great thing to say to people. In doubt, turn to Jesus. I love this. In fear, turn to Jesus. In weakness, turn to Jesus. In confusion, turn to Jesus. In sin, turn to Jesus. In despair, turn to Jesus. And then you quote the Bible saying, He is the way, the truth, and the life through it all. Jesus Christ, King of the universe of our lives. I think if we could say that in the morning, I think that fear would leave us. So I thank you for putting that together. What made you do that? Because I just told you why I think you did it, but I'm interpreting. What, what was your reason for doing that? Well, it, it wasn't anything specific, but like you said, there is a lot of fear. There's 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 an anxiety. Yeah. It's, it's almost palpable in yeah. everywhere. And I think we we just need to remember and ultimately, you know, certainly there are good things about our technologies and the media and all. I mean, we're using it right now, but um I would encourage people, that's another thing, to go back to Advent, but yeah. to to really try to find some space away from media. And, you know, because I think so many people, and I, you know, I have to confess, yeah. I get caught up in it. Yeah. Um, and you can really get down. And one thing is, 
a lot of that's not very real. You know, I mean, it doesn't affect what you're going to do after we finish doing this yeah. there in California. What I'm going to do, it's it's earlier there than it is here. I'll go home. I have a, a rosary group to pray with. But <laughs> when we think about just our day-to-day lives, a lot of these things that we that were bombarded with, whether they happen or not, it's not right now. And it's, I mean, certainly, you know, we be, need to be prepared for some things, but um, it's kind of like worrying about just, just this comes to me. And it's like worrying about snowstorms that are going to happen two weeks from now that they're predicting. <laughs> it may not even happen. Yeah. You know, so don't worry about it. Exactly. You're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour on Virgin Most Powerful. We'll come back with more. And don't forget, we're going to have a great quote from the Catechism of the Catholic Church later in the show. Welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour. Bishop Strickland, I was reading an article about St. John Paul II. I call him the Great. Uh, he made a comment about unborn babies, and it sounded like you. I know that he is part of—I think you were ordained in the mid-'80s. So, you know, John Paul II, I imagine, was your hero. He, at least he was mine at, as a young and influential age. But he said this. He's talking about the unborn and how we have to stop abortion worldwide, and we have to make a stand on this. And he was criticized, saying, Holy Father, why are you continually beating up on this topic of abortion? I mean, there are other topics. And his response reminded me of you. He said, when the babies aren't being killed and millions of babies aren't dying, I'll stop talking about it. Now, didn't that sound like a comment you made maybe two or three weeks ago? Well, I, I, I don't hope know if you so. Yeah, I, you said it. You said exactly the same thing. Yeah. And well, it's true. It is yeah. true. And and again, have you not been told by other people you're t- you're always talking about too much about the unborn? I have. Yeah, yeah. And my answer uh, until we really correct it. Yeah. You know, like we've talked about before, all the terrible violence. I mean, shootings, stabbings. Yeah. We hear all about it all the time. Yeah. That's because life isn't held sacred. And it's not going to be until we start at the beginning and build up from there. And I think absolutely we need to people really, Terry, people don't realize what a treasure every person is. Exactly. I was just out for a walk this afternoon and thinking about just walking through a neighborhood here in Tyler (laughs) and realizing that the people in all these houses are are part of my flock. Yep. I mean, they're people that I have some responsibility for. I mean, a lot of them are not Catholic, and a lot of them have no idea who I am, but I've got to keep t- teaching the truth and recognizing that every one of those families, every person in those homes, beautiful, gorgeous home, small you know, home that's maybe not in great shape, whoever, if a human being lives there, That's right. that is a treasure. Yep. We've got to recapture that appreciation of every person. 
and you know then the the terrible wars that have happened through history the 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 massacre of unborn children all of these things undermine the value of the human person Absolutely. and you know so we've got a lot of work to do but we we've got to keep speaking about it until the world changes and as long as we have breath Absolutely. You know, Bishop Strickland, I was talking to someone who's pro-abortion, and I said to them, are you okay with me killing little babies that are in, you know, a little uh, hospitals that are just newborn babies? And the reason I brought this up, I just got, just over the weekend, we had our second little baby girl for our granddaughter born, and I saw the, you know, she's so tiny. And I thought about it, what would you say for me to just start killing and stabbing all these little infants in the hospital that were just born. Wouldn't you say that's horrible? Would you or would you not? And of course, well, yeah, they're, I mean, how, how can you kill a little baby? And I said, well, don't go on my morality. Go on science. What do you think's inside mama? We know because when it comes out, it's not a banana. It's not an apple. It's a baby. And so my question to you is if you're okay with me killing these babies outside the womb, of course you said you're not, then why are you not, why are you comfortable killing them inside the mother's womb? And I, I got to admit, the lady looked at me like, uh, you didn't have an answer, you know, like, what? Well, the, the, there, there is no answer. If you really are honest with yourself, there is no, I mean, it's the same baby. <laughs> yeah, it's the same baby. That's and the point. So we're going to keep talking about it Absolutely. until people wake up. Yeah. And it's our responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Bishop Strickland, you have you live in the great state of Texas. Uh, there's thousands of babies that are alive because of your legislation. Texas uh, administrators have voted uh, the heartbeat law, and that saved thousands of babies' lives. Here in California, again, I'm in the, the I'm, I, I feel like I'm in Sodom and Gomorrah because our governor says just the opposite. You're in Texas. Come to California. We'll kill your baby. I mean, is this microphone on? Did I say that? Yes, because it's true. That's how bad it's gotten. So, yeah, if we stay silent on this, I think I'm going to be honest with you. I think I have a sin of omission if I don't speak up for the little ones. Well, I totally agree. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we you do it with charity. love. You don't attack anyone. No, no. Because the people we're trying to get to listen are are precious as well. That's right. But, That's right. You know, yeah. you've got to keep you know, for their good yeah. and for the good of society and certainly for the babies. Yeah. Bishop Strickland, you talked a little bit about the German bishops, and it's sad what's going on there. And uh, you had tweeted that you said at least one bishop uh, admits that they are seeking some sort of alternative of Catholicism. Because he said, you know, we just want to have our own version of Catholicism, like no, there's only one version of it. But he said, we want our own version. He said, but you said, there's no such thing. If they don't want the truth the church teaches, they're free to reject it because they have free will. It is so many have, have, but you can't reject what Catholic, embrace Catholic, Catholic all at the same time. In other words, you can't be Catholic and say, we want a different version. And can you just explain that? Because I don't think just the bishops in... Uh, Germany want that. There are people in this country who think, and this is what they think, they can be Catholic and pro-abortion. 
and those two don't mix. Your thoughts? Absolutely. There are many things that people are pushing for. And I mean, Catholics in Congress voting for this, oh, you know, marriage, uh, so-called, I mean, it's so not- badly named Marriage Protection Act. It's yeah. the Marriage Destruction Act. Right. Is what it is. Right. And, and it's even worse than, I mean, destroying marriage is about as bad as it gets, but it, it really... People, um, I don't think, are aware, and even the legislators, I don't think they're really aware of what what the agenda is behind it. Yeah. And it's trying to really shut down exactly what we're doing right now. Exactly. Quit talking about the truth. Quit yeah. talking about Catholicism. And really, it's very dangerous. And, you know, the... We've got to we've got to speak up and continue to speak up even with and they tell us it's illegal. It's never you know, we don't have to follow a law that is contrary to the common good and contrary to just common sense. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, like sadly, a lot of laws in California. Oh. Um, but we've got to continue to to speak up and to to resist. The, you know, the German bishops are ignoring, I mean, they just had their odd limina. Yeah. I read, I mean, that's part of what that, it was one of the bishops speaking after they had had their, the odd limina, that uh, free, that periodic visit with the Pope. We had our, as the American bishops, we had our odd limina back in January of 2020, just before COVID started. Um but the German bishops were just there for their ad limina and basically told Pope Francis and even the, the other members of the, the Curia, I know that there were several cardinals speaking to him saying, come back to the Catholic faith. Yeah. But they're saying, no, nope, we're going to continue on this path. And, uh, you know, really, this synod is unfolding and people are really using it to to do exactly that, to say, oh, well, we want a different version of Catholicism. <laughs> Basically, that happened 500 years ago. Exactly. And it ceased to be Catholicism, and it became Protestantism. And, you know, it's frustrating to me that these bishops, they need to embrace some Protestant faith or create their own. I mean, there, there are many different Protestant denominations that have developed in the past 500 years, I don't know how many there are, but there are many, many Protestant groups that, and there's a lot of non-denominational, but Catholic is clearly defined. Read the catechism. And if you're contrary to the catechism, certainly, like I said in that tweet, people are free to be. God doesn't force us. And we don't force anyone. If you want to leave the church, it's heartbreaking but that's your free choice. Exactly. But rather than trying to say, oh, well, we want a different form of Catholicism, you want a different form of the truth? It doesn't, it just doesn't make sense. Right. And yeah, I brought this up last week to you, and I'll bring it up again. Many of the denominations of Christianity compromised on these moral issues, whether it's over sexuality, of um, contraception, or abortion or same-sex marriage, all these things they said, well, we're going to bring more people in if we just compromise and let that in. But statistically shows that just the opposite has taken place. The people leave. 
And this is something that we should have learned from our Protestant brothers, that compromise doesn't do anything except you leave people uh, confused and they are not committed at all to Christian values. And so I just wanted to, to bring that up. But I wanted to, before we get to the catechism, we got a couple minutes on this segment. Uh, it seems to me, Bishop Strickland, that uh, we still, in the world and even in the church, we are so concerned about offending somebody by telling them the truth. We don't. We hear people, like the bishop up in France, where the priest was preaching that more um, babies died in France since 1975 when abortion was legalized than all the people that died in World War One on July, on November 11th, Armistice Day, and he gets reprimanded by the bishop because the bishop said, "You're offending." Too many people by telling them, stay quiet on that. Now, Bishop Strickland, I'm not even saying names, but diocese, it's in the newspapers. But I, I feel like, Mr. Uh, Father, the priest, God bless you for speaking up and being paying a price because for four weeks he has to be silent by not preaching because the bishop said, you got to be quiet on that issue. And he's not willing to do that. I think he's spot on, but I won't get your take on that. Let's get back. I had to, I, that's my take on teaching the uh, faith no matter what cost and that priest did it even though he got penalized you're listening to the Bishop Strickland Hour we'll be right back stay with us welcome back to the Bishop Strickland Hour this is a teaser uh, we're going to Quote a catechism, 849. So open up your catechism, paragraph 849. And I want to just preface this because this is what the official church teachings are. I know that a couple years ago down in Panama, we had that uh, senat down there, and one Franciscan priest bragged about being there for 40 years or 38 years and never baptizing one soul and thinking that this is what the church is wanting him to do, which is fallacious. I mean, I feel bad for the guy. Maybe... He got just bad catechesis. But if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 849, this is a mandate, a missionary mandate that that, that woman that I told you about, the old lady, where she called on that lapsed Catholic TV personality to come back to the church eight years ago, and now he's back. That's the kind of Catholic we need. But let me just read the paragraph, and then Bishop Strickland, you give me your commentary on this. The missionary mandate having been divinely sent to the nations, that she, the church, may might be the universal sacrament of salvation. I love that line. The church, in obedience to the command of her founder, and because it is demanded by her own essential universality, strives to preach the gospel to all men, meaning all men and women. And then it's the mandate. It says, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always until the close of the age. And of course, that's right and taken right from Matthew's gospel. Uh, Bishop Strickland, this is a very appropriate for us today. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I totally agree, Terry. And I love just the the sort of title of this section, yeah. mission, a requirement of the church's Catholicity. Wow. 
that's that's pretty clear and pretty strong. Yeah. It's not an option. No. It's not a well if you really want to. <laughs> it's a requirement. Amen. Of being Catholic is to this missionary mandate, as this paragraph 849 says. And there's two, we've really, uh, I mean, I'm in a very non-Catholic area. There are many Christians, but not many Catholics, percentage-wise. One thing that I think we need to underscore in this is the church, I mean, and certainly there are a lot of different opinions, but the Catholic Church's approach is if you're validly baptized, yeah, and that's very simple, really, using water in some form that is not just sprinkled, but flowing water that catches that image of flowing. You can be dunked in a river or in a, a pool or have water poured over your head like most infants do. But pouring water and saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's all the church requires. Certainly, the ordinary ministers of baptism are the ordained. Bishops can baptize, priests baptize, deacons baptize. But in a lot of Catholics, and we used to emphasize this in our uh, RCIA classes, Christian Initiation, for those who are becoming Catholic, any believing Christian, not even, the church says, not even a Catholic, but any believing Christian in a, an emergency situation yep. can baptize another. If someone's in a terrible situation and they're about to die and they say, I was never baptized, but I want to be baptized, a, a believing Christian can do exactly that, pour water over their head and say those words and the church accepts that baptism. I emphasize that because, like I was saying, walking around the neighborhood, yeah. a lot of the people in East Texas are baptized. Yeah. Not baptized in the Catholic tradition, but they're baptized. Right. If they're baptized, they're part of the flock of Christ. Yep. They, they share the same call to, to live Christ that we do. I mean, just at the beginning level of baptism, we know there are three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Yep. And that strengthens us to live our baptism more fully, to to turn from sin and to live the gospel more fully. But I think that is important to understand as the church's mandate to go out and baptize and to certainly bring for those always respecting the free will of the individuals and the i mean the missionaries of old get you know bashed for forcing people to be baptized maybe that happened some i doubt it was the the common practice yeah. because people knew their faith that's right you know maybe they were zealous and really urging people to be baptized but i mean we don't i don't know but and i'm sure as there are bad actors today, there were probably bad actors, but to tar the whole missionary activity of the church as, you know, this proselytizing and this, you know, just forcing people or bribing people to, to be baptized, any Catholic of 1,500 years ago, if they knew the faith, they knew that that's not what the church calls for. Certainly, 
you know, mistakes are made and people get zealous and, and overstep, but that we need to not cause the mistakes that may have been made to pull us back from what the catechism says. A requirement of the church's Catholicity is this missionary mandate given by Christ himself to the apostles. And as a successor of the apostles, we have uh, an obligation to continue to share the good news. Again, not forcing anyone, but calling people to truly embrace Jesus Christ. Because even, you know, if a, a misguided missionary is forcing people or in a sense bribing people, oh, we'll, we'll feed you or you get better food if you go ahead and be baptized, that that isn't really baptism either. I mean, certainly they would be validly baptized, but that's not what the faith is about. Christ doesn't force anyone to follow him. He leaves us free and our free will to choose. And that's what we need to emphasize. People are free to choose to reject Christ, but we have the obligation to share the good news of our Savior. He's Savior of all humanity. And that's what these paragraphs, beginning with 849, that's what it's reminding us. You know, it reminds me of what Vatican II said on the decree of missionary activity of the church. It says, the whole church is missionary, and the work of evangelization is the fundamental task of the people of God. And Bishop Strickland, if you don't mind, I want to read a section from Vatican II that really gives a decree on the apostles of the lay people, like that elderly woman. She implemented Vatican II by asking him to come back. This is what Vatican II says. And I always tell people, read the documents. Don't take the spirit of the Vatican II documents. Read them. Here's what it says. In the church, there is diversity of services, but unity of purpose. Christ conferred on the apostles and their successors the duty of teaching, sanctifying, and ruling in his name and power. Those are the bishops. But the laity, too, share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office of Christ and therefore have their own role to play in the missionary world of the whole of the God in the church and in the world. And this is really powerful for us to know as lay people. They exercise, we, lay people, a genuine apostolate by their activity on behalf of bringing the gospel and the holiness of men and on the behalf of penetrating and perfecting the temporal sphere of things through the spirit of the gospel. In this way, the temporal activity can openly bear witness to Christ and promote the salvation of men, since it is proper to the layman's state in life for him to spend his days in the midst of the world and of the secular transactions. He is called, here it comes, he's called by God to burn with the Spirit of Christ and to exercise his apostolate in the world as the king, as a kind of leaven. Yes, we're supposed to be the leaven. I just, I know you're, you're, uh, um, your your um, lay, uh, I should say the state the um, saint. I can't even think. You guys talk. I've read this on your website. You guys quote this document on your um, the Saint Philip. Institute. I couldn't think of it. Thank you, Saint Philip Institute. You, I quoted it in my book. But this is a mandate, not from Bishop Strickland. No, no. This is a mandate from Holy Mother of the Church from the Second Vatican Council. And I just want to point this out. This is so beautiful because it gives us clarity in times of confusion right now. 
Absolutely. And I love what the next paragraph, 850. Yeah. Let me just read that. Read, because it. read it. It talks about the very heart of the purpose of this. Yes. The origin and purpose of mission. Yes. The Lord's missionary mandate is ultimately grounded in the eternal love of the most holy trinity. Oh, boy. The church on earth is by her nature missionary, since according to the plan of the Father, she is as her origin the mission of the Son and the Holy Spirit. The ultimate purpose of mission is none other than to make men share in the communion between the Father and the Son in their spirit of love. That is profound. It is. I mean, that really brings it to the very focus of why the church exists, why the church is, has missionary activity, why we proclaim Jesus Christ. The ultimate purpose of mission is none other than to make men share in the communion between the Father and the Son and their spirit of love. Wow. To share in the life of God. That's what it's about. I got excited just hearing that chapter, Bishop Strickland, because some of us might be confused that we're supposed to be, you know, um, using our solar panels or, or picking up trash out of the ocean, which is a good thing. But this is the mandate. This is a top priority. And sometimes I forget, well, wait a minute. What are we spending our time on right now in the church? This is why you quoting the catechism gave me a real focus on, no, no, no. The priority is what the last canon of canon law says. So if souls, the salvation of souls, and I keep quoting Bishop Sheen when he says, if souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls aren't saved, nothing is saved. So thank you for quoting the catechism. Can we get a blessing from you? We ran out of time, Bishop Strickland. Sure. Appreciate it. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Terry and for all of his crew, for all listening to this program, that all of us may rejoice in what we've just read about, that it is the plan of our loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to draw us to him, to draw us into that communion of love, into that great mystery. That is the eternity God longs to share with us. May we all be blessed as we seek to turn from sin and live the truth that guides us on this mission of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you very much, Bishop Strickland. Folks, you can hear all of the shows on vmpr.org's website, podcast, and all the different shows that we have on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Thanks for listening, and we hope to be back again next week at the same time. May God richly bless you and your family, and thanks for supporting us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. God love you and your family.